but not for myself as in like, oh, I need to stand up for myself and finally put my foot down. It was, I am important and I matter as this baby girl's mom, (laughs) like, you know, like, and if I don't do what needs to be done and what she deserves and what I deserved, unfortunately didn't get, no one else is going to. listening to Scars We Share. I'm your host, Kayleen. There's a meme that I've seen quite a few times now that is too true for me. I love how being an adult is just saying, but after this week, things will slow down a bit again to yourself until you die. That's how I feel right now. So hard. I missed another week last week because things are so dang crazy. And honestly, there's no end in sight at this point, so please know that I'm doing my best to continue to release new episodes. This week, I got to speak with Katherine Hudson. She talks about having an absent parent and not having a safe space growing up. We talk a lot about parenthood in this episode. Here's Katherine. Well, thank you so much, Kayleen. I'm super excited to be on the show with you as well. I'm Catherine Hudson. As you said, I am um, international best-selling author of d- dark fantasy, dystopian sci-fi, LGBTQ speculative fiction, and most recently, urban fantasy adventure with my newest accessory to magic series. If anyone wants to check out the super dark and chaotic fiction that I write, um, everything about my books can be found on my website. That's katherinehudsonfiction.com. And they're, of course, available where all good books are sold. I'm also on Facebook most often. (laughs) It's Catherine Hudson Fiction on Facebook as well. Awesome. So I kind of love that you said dark. (laughs) Yes. Oh, that's my my soul. (laughs) It's so funny. So, like, I am a very, like, bubbly, like, positive person. (laughs) So I actually like, I have a degree in theater and my emphasis was playwriting. And the play that I wrote, like one of the plays that I wrote that I did the best with, like the best writing that I have done was this really dark play. (laughs) Like, yes, like thriller, like dark play that like when people were reading it in my class, they're like, Kayleen, (laughs) What's wrong with you? (laughs) Where is this coming from? I think it's so interesting that sometimes people who write really dark things, like that's not their personality, like at all. Yeah. Like it's just so interesting to me. So I love that you said that. Like, I just love it. I'm glad. I I get that all the time where, um, you know, more often than not when I'm on interviews or people are, you know, speaking to me about my work they have looked at all of the dark fiction that I write and that's, I don't do happy endings. That's just part of <laughs> what I don't do. And there's a lot of, you know, violence and blood and gore and many dark things. And then they speak to me and they're like, I just can't believe that something would, like that would come out of you. And well, you know, I'm compartmentalizing, <laughs> you know, like all the dark stuff goes into my work and this is what you get left over. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it so much though. <laughs> so fun. <laughs> So let's go to your physical scar. What physical scar are you going to talk about? Yes, I'm going to talk about, um, there's a scar on my left foot 
um, on my big toe, kind of spans my entire big toe, um, where I had bunion removal surgery. Um, and apparently I had let this thing get so bad that they, uh, the surgeon had to do like the top of the line intensity surgery, which unbeknownst to me basically meant they broke my entire foot, um, to put it back together. <laughs> so I have a, I have a steel bar and a couple of screws in there and some nerve damage along the scar. So it's one of those like, uh, I waited too long <laughs> to get it looked at and that's on me. Um, and also I, you know, have a fondness for this scar a little bit because I got pregnant about five days after my surgery. <laughs> so it goes hand in hand with my pregnancy. <laughs> there you have it. You know what? At least it was after your surgery. Yes. Yes, it was. It was. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's so crazy. Yeah, I I was, you know, I was taking um, pen, pain medications after the surgery for was probably five weeks. And I couldn't figure out, you know, my foot still hurt, obviously, but I couldn't figure out why I was having such incredible brain fog for five, six weeks. And I was like, wow, my body must be really like focusing all of its energy on healing this foot. And it was just focusing in, instead on making a human. So yes. I, <laughs> I, I feel that brain fog so deep. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I feel like I lost my, my, I lost my brain with my first pregnancy. Oh, I was yeah. like, I can't think of anything. Can't think of words. No. Can't hold things in here. <laughs> yeah. No, it was, I, I, I think I spent at least the entire third trimester, if not the second half of the second trimester, staring at blank walls. And I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> like I would sit inside and stare at blank walls or sit outside and stare at one tree for hours. And it was, it was enough to make me swear off of having any other kids. So <laughs> I'm good with the one. <laughs> yep. I, I can understand that. I ended up with, I ended up having three kids and uh -huh. it like got progressively worse. Oh no! Because <laughs> then you add, did it. <laughs> I know, but you like add mommy brain mm -hmm. onto like the pregnancy. Oh my gosh! Yeah. yeah, I I have so much respect for any parent who can handle more than one child. I didn't think I would even be able to handle one, honestly. <laughs> you know, I totally get that. Like, I always thought I wanted like four. <laughs> And then we had the ones that we did and I was like, I think I'm good now. Yeah. Thank you very much. I'm good. Yeah. But no, I totally get what you're saying. Oh my gosh, I get it. Well, um, <laughs> let's move into the internal scar. What yes. internal scar are you willing to talk about? Internal scar. Wouldn't it be great if there was like a single phrase that could be right. used to yeah. sum up. Oh, this is oh, the one I, I have. Yeah. <laughs> so the the one that, that I would like to talk about today is, um, you know, going way back into my childhood um, and having been raised in an environment where, um, you know, I was taught that I couldn't depend on the people I was supposed to depend on and that I, I couldn't trust that I would be given what I needed by the people who were responsible for giving me 
what I needed, you know, um, yeah. including, <laughs> including basic things like food and uh, clothes. You know, I mean, I had clothes, but uh, going out to buy new clothes was, was a, a rare occurrence. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, that's stuck with me since then. I have yeah. a hard time. I have a hard time trusting anyone else in my life to be able to provide me with what I need, what I want, what I ask for. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's <laughs> very much developed into uh, my own habit of thinking and saying that I can do everything on my own. I don't need anyone's help. And, you know, that can only go so far. (laughs) Yep. It's true. (laughs) It is. It is. I'm not a superhero, unfortunately. Some days. I feel like it. Some days. You know, I love that you say some days, though, because seriously, like, there are some days where you feel like you can conquer anything oh yeah and absolutely absolutely and then there are other days where it's like help yeah (laughs) Yeah. I get myself into a situation where the the help is like not actually something anyone could ever actually help with you know it's just a just a headspace yeah Yeah. absolutely man that's a lot (laughs) so I'm like trying to think of how to dissect this take it apart yeah (laughs) (laughs) So, so was this, was this coming like straight from parents, like not giving you the very basic necessities that you really needed? I think, you know, that had something to do with it. Definitely. My, my parents um, got divorced when I was 10 and I went back and forth between their houses uh, every three and a half days for six years. So there was a lot of like uprootedness happening all throughout that time. And, you know, halfway through high school, I think the biggest thing though, was that one parent in particular who would have been considered the natural caregiver, um, was not available emotionally, a lot of the times physically, mentally really at all and so you know it it, it took me a long time to finally I think come to terms with the fact that that emotional or physical unavailability was not because of anything I did or didn't do and that I think was was the biggest scar if you will (laughs) you know um because I mean yeah kids internalize so many things and it, it takes a long time to undo those <laughs> so true I mean I haven't read it I really want to but there's a whole book written um there's one called the emotionally absent mother I don't know if there's more beyond that one that's just the one that I'm familiar with but I totally had kind of like emotionally absent parents mm-hmm. more just in the fact that they didn't really talk about emotions like that wasn't something that we talked about like yeah. it's just <laughs> like it, that just what that just wasn't part of our family like it, it just wasn't and there are definitely things that yeah like not being emotionally present and available yeah can have some pretty big repercussions 
Yeah. And even, you know, on either end of the spectrum, like, you know, you saying emotions just weren't a thing in your family. It wasn't how you expressed yourselves. And (laughs) on the other side of that, I had explosive emotional chaos all the time that wasn't ever mine. (laughs) Right. So it was, there's uh, no availability on that parent's end because they were so consumed with their own. Um, yeah struggles yeah yeah Yeah. oh and that's tough because it was (laughs) yeah that's really hard especially because as a kid now I'm now I'm going into like the what I've learned as a mother kind of thing Mm -hmm. (laughs) but as kids like you don't kids don't have the mental capacity to deal with everything mm-hmm. that adults do and they mm-hmm. shouldn't they're not supposed to that's not what they're supposed to worry about they're no, supposed to worry about being right. no, like their job is to learn and play and mm-hmm. grow and experience childhood like that is that's their job yeah and so it's the parent's job to help give them the space for that to happen in a healthy way mm-hmm. and if the parent is all consumed by all of the things going on in their own lives like that just automatically makes it so it can't be a healthy space for that child yeah and that's really rough because it's like if if the parent's not creating the safe space then where is the child getting that safe space yeah I would argue most of the time (laughs) They're not. Yeah, exactly. I didn't have it. I know that. (laughs) Yeah. Like, did you ever get anything at school? Like, did you have any place to go at all that was, like, a safe space for you? (sighs) I had um, my piano teacher, actually. So I I started um, classical piano training when I was five, apparently. I was... (laughs) a very gifted five-year-old pianist. Um, But I I studied with her for 12 years. So I would go to her house once a week until I think the last four years. And I was going twice a week at that point. So she watched my entire development. Um, And I think she was really probably the only uh, consistent access that I had to a safe space. Um, And I know once I got older and when things got really choppy, we would spend <laughs> most of my of my lesson time um, just talking, you know, it's really worked as therapy in a lot of ways. And so she was a fantastic mentor that way. And um, yeah, someone I felt safe speaking to on a regular basis. Um, yeah. And I actually, it was interesting when my daughter was, oh, I don't know, eight months old, maybe. Oh, no, she was a year and change. Um, we came back to Colorado to visit. I live here now for the time being. Um, but I brought her back to visit, and I actually um, had lunch with um, this piano instructor of mine. And it was such a fantastic conversation, and we were talking about, you know, the past and then the stories. Um and where I am in my life now. And she said something that just like really opened my eyes in a lot of ways to what this situation 
was on like a broader spectrum of you know my childhood and living with this parent and she said that she had almost called child protective services multiple times um to help me get out of these situations and never did which you know i don't blame anyone for yeah ever, you know having done that but just to hear that um the situation was so obviously detrimental um people could tell you know and i've i'm still learning how many people were aware of what was going on and how many people <laughs> wanted to help wanted to do something didn't know how how um you know i think in some ways keeping quiet and just letting everything work itself out was easier for everyone involved except for me maybe <laughs> yeah yeah then is what it is <laughs> yeah no i think that that's I'm actually really glad that you brought this up because I think it's something that a lot of people do. Yes. They like, it's so easy to see this. Oh, there's something, there's something weird here. Mm -hmm. There's something going on here. And like, cause you can tell it's like people can tell it. Like there Mm -hmm. are always signs. There are always little things showing like there's something not right here. Mm Mm-hmm. But so much of the time, they don't know what to do. Right. Because if you call CPS and they decide that the child needs to be removed, well, when that, what does that mean? It means they could possibly get put in the foster care system. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty obvious that the foster care system is not a great system to put a kid in. And so it's like, well, if those are my options, then is it better to not say anything and hope that things will maybe get better? But it's like, outside of those two things, what do you do? Because if you don't know the parent, like if you don't know intimately what's going on and it's like, how do I talk to them about it? Like, it's Mm. such a tricky situation. Like, do you have any thoughts on like, things that people could do if they start seeing little signs in families, like are there things that they can do to try something? Right. Um, that you know, may be an impossible question. So I, you know, <laughs> I, I, I wish that I had that kind of um, information that would feel like a more helpful answer you know i um i know that in my situation specifically there was a lot of um mental health issues and struggling that was happening as well in the background and probably not nearly as discovered (laughs) as it could have been at the time i think more than anything, what I probably would have benefited from the most is to have more people just step up and tell me, hey, I see what's going on. And I know this has to be really hard for you. And it's not your responsibility, not your job to fix it and make things right. And I'm here for you. That would have gone a long way. Yeah. Yeah. And, 
yeah, like just for me personally, and you know, of course, would not have changed much of the situations in the moment. Um, but I imagine they would have changed quite a bit of uh, the road that I took (laughs) into my own hands to, you know, feel like I had some sort of power again when I was able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Even if they couldn't be a safe physical space for you to go to, Mm -hmm. they just having more safe mental and emotional space I think yeah. can go a really long way. It it really does. It really does. Yeah. And I had I had um one family member who was very available to me throughout this whole thing. Um and she lived on the other side of the country, you know, the whole time. So it was, you know, for years and years and years, all the conversations I had with her were, you know, like breakdown into tears sobbing conversations because <laughs> that was when I needed to talk and that was all that was and um yeah it's so important for everyone kids adults it doesn't matter to have multiple outlets and to feel like they're being heard and seen and I think especially for kids Mm -hmm. that um that reaffirmation of like (laughs) this is not on you (laughs) this is not your job it doesn't matter what you're being told at home. You know, kids should feel responsible for cleaning up a caretaker, guardian, parents mess. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. not the kid's job at all. No, not even a little bit. <laughs> no. Oh, that's so, like, it's just heartbreaking. I'm guessing, especially for you now that you have your own child, it's like. Yes. <laughs> yeah, having having my own child was a um an incredible what's the word I'm looking for? Catalyst for um for me finally taking a look at these things, I think, in a new light. I have since stopped speaking to this parent. It's been it's been about three years now. Um because I am a mother because I have a daughter and, you know, uh, I will be the last one to experience those things. (laughs) My daughter will not. (laughs) Yeah. I I think that's the whole like generational trauma type thing. Like it has to stop somewhere. Absolutely. And sometimes that means putting up really firm boundaries. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. including no longer having contact with someone. Right. And then and there's, know, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. You, you go ahead. This is your oh, story. You go ahead. No, I was going to say, you know, for anyone who's listening, contemplating doing that or who, I mean, I know that it had been in my mind for a very long time. And I never really actually considered making a choice like that until I had my own child. Um, but there's absolutely nothing wrong with it, you know, for these like, self-preservation and familial protection choices there's absolutely nothing wrong with separating from a toxic person toxic situation in order to really it's saving yourself (laughs) and and that's how i felt about it um and and i i think 
well, I, I don't know for sure, but I'm guessing that there are a lot of people out there who have considered putting up those really firm boundaries or even, you know, cutting off completely and um, who are afraid of it, you know, that there may be more of a stigma around it or they'll continue to be blamed for doing so or, um, you know, what people will think of them. I actually had absolutely no idea how many people I knew <laughs> who were, you know, in my group of friends or, or networking circles who had done the same thing and who said, you have absolutely nothing to feel bad about and good for you and I'm proud of you. And yes, it's a fantastic decision. Like people just popped out of the woodwork. <laughs> you know, it's it's not it's not a bad thing. That doesn't make anyone uh, a bad and heartless person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm trying to narrow my my <laughs> thoughts down. We're in, we kind of live in a society where it's like, oh, but they're your family. Yeah. And family is meant to be this like number one thing. Where in reality, like, honestly, what's important is the family that you choose. And that could be blood family. That could be family that you're related to that you love and want to be your family. But it can also be friends Mm -hmm. and people that you decide to make your family. Mm -hmm. But it's hard to cut off actual blood related family or the family that you came from, even if it's not by blood, if it's the family that you came from, it's hard because it's like, oh, but they're my family. They, they raised me. They, and so it makes it really difficult to put that boundary up because it's like, it's almost like you feel like you owe them something for like (laughs) getting them to getting, getting you to where you are now, like even if they didn't have a whole lot to do with it, there's like this weird stuff going on in your head where it's like, I feel like I owe them something. I'm here to tell you a secret. You don't owe them anything. No, you don't owe them. (laughs) I'm like, excuse this language. It's like, you don't owe them a damn thing. Like, absolutely. You owe it to yourself to be happy and be in a safe, healthy place And if a family member isn't giving that to you, it is completely acceptable and fine and wonderful if you set that boundary to take them out of your life. Mm -hmm. And it has, it has taken me a while to also come to that conclusion. Mm. And I'm glad that you have. (laughs) Like, and not that I've experienced the same kinds of things, like mine have been a much lesser much to a much lesser degree, but it still is like, well, but no, like I can't have that in my life. Like I am not going to have someone tolerate me in their life. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's not what I want. I want people who want me in their life. Mm -hmm. So if, if you're going to be someone who tolerates me, (sighs) I, I think I'm just going to let that one go. Yeah, because there's wife. There's we don't have to people. force each other into this. No. So exactly, exactly. And so, like, I think it's so important to be able to get to the point when where you're like, I matter, mm-hmm. and I'm important. Because I don't think you can actually set these boundaries until you get to that point. Yes. Absolutely. And, so yeah. 
I'm curious, how did you get to that point? It, it was honestly, it was becoming a mother and uh, having my own child. And so, you know, at that point, it, it definitely was a moment of I am important and I matter, but not for myself as in like, oh, I need to stand up for myself and finally put my foot down. It was, I am important and I matter as this baby girl's mom, <laughs> like, you know, like, and if I don't do what needs to be done and what she deserves and what I deserved, unfortunately didn't get, no one else is going to. And I was not willing in any way whatsoever to open a door for those possibilities for my daughter. Yeah. It's not going to happen. So, you know, it's one of those, like, I I probably would never have have made this decision if um, my daughter hadn't been born and I hadn't seen, you know, the red flags popping up in the beginning. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's like, that makes so much sense to me. Mm-hmm. So, like it just, it totally does. Like I have found so much more confidence Oh yeah. since having children because yeah. it's like, if I don't stand up for them, who's going to. Right. And so it's like, wait, <sighs> if I want them to be treated well, that mm-hmm. means someone has to stand up for them because they're kids. They can't do it themselves. And so, like, becoming a mom seriously, like, kicked my confidence into overdrive, <laughs> like, into yeah. games. It's like, no, if you can't do it, then who's going to do it for them? No one's going to do it for them. Hey. And it, yeah, like, there is so much to that, honestly. Similar, but not similar in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> um, I was raised in a religion that is very... Um, specific mm-hmm. and particular mm-hmm. and I just did what I was supposed to do like all growing up and like I'm 31 and me too thir- <laughs> yeah. so for like 31 years basically I like did what I was supposed to do that my religion taught me to do mm-hmm. and then it wasn't until after I had kids and started thinking about raising them in the religion yeah. I started noticing all these red flags Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, I don't want that for them. No, I don't want them to have to unlearn that. Like I've had to unlearn it. Yes. And that was where I was like, do I want this for them? And ultimately, like my husband and I decided, no, we don't want this for them. Mm-hmm. And so we like that was part of the reason we decided to leave our religion. And yeah. it was just in October, like last October was when oh, we officially wow. decided to leave. And like we're in the process of officially resigning but it what like one of the biggest reasons for me being like, no, I can't stay was thinking about what my kids were going to be taught if mm-hmm. we raise them in that religion. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't want that for them. I want better for them. And that was one of the driving forces of us leaving. And I think that there, like, there is something about when you get to that point of, suddenly you're in charge of little people right that need you they need you to be their protector and their comforter and their everything because you're their everything Mm -hmm. when they're especially when they're a baby like 
you are there. Yeah, there's nothing else. You are their everything. And so if you're not their everything, they don't get it anywhere else. And yeah, that is, I can absolutely see how that would be the like catalyst for realizing, oh, I matter. Yeah. (laughs) Because you matter to them. Right. But also you matter. Yes. Because you have to be that for them. Right. Like it's this whole like. It's a very odd circular, you know, returning to like, it's, you know, the things that we would never do for ourselves. Yeah. We are 100%, 150% there to do for our children, you know, and like figuring out, I don't know how to treat myself better (laughs) has been a product of learning how to treat my daughter the way that, you know, just basic human beings. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, like, and it's, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible, you know, learning that like, all the fear goes away, all the, all the worrying about what anyone thinks or, you know, I know for me personally, I was sort of raised in a way that everyone was always taking on everyone else's emotions, problems, you know, it was yeah. like, you know, if, if, if there's an issue, it's everyone's issue. And so, you know, I, I internalized yeah. a lot of that too. And there's a there's a huge learning moment for me as well being like it is not my problem what any other grown adult Mm -hmm. is going through I can be compassionate and understanding or even if I don't understand I can say okay this is what you're going through but it's not my problem (laughs) and it's not my responsibility to try and juggle or fix or walk on eggshells around um that was huge yeah that is huge like (laughs) oh my gosh um so you mentioned there was some like mental illness and whatnot Mm -hmm. so uh my husband has some mental illness and it is something that we have had to really work on in our Mm -hmm. marriage because I can't let his mood affect me right and that's, it's hard to get to that point. Very it's hard. very hard to get to that point. And like, sometimes I fail. Sometimes I don't, some, I was going to say sometimes I fail, but I like, I don't want it to, to come across that way. But like, sometimes I don't do so well. And sometimes his mood totally does affect me. And then it affects the kids because, mm-hmm. because that's how it works. That's just how it works. And so, yeah, yeah. And but it also goes the other way. Like I, so he, we kind of joke around. He has like the mental things that he has to deal with, but then I got the interesting health side of things. So he deals with like the mental troubles and then I deal with the health troubles. And so there are times when my like, lethargy or (laughs) my, my lethargy and like exhaustion comes into play for him because he feeds Um, off of me. And so like, it's this thing where we've had to work really hard to be like, no, what you're going through, like I can empathize. I can feel like I can do my best to help you, but I don't have to take that on. And that is something that is really difficult. 
Mm-hmm. to learn and get to and sometimes you're not going to do it sometimes you're totally going to pick up on what other people are thinking and feeling and and that's okay as long <laughs> as you know how to like get yourself back to okay right and I think that's one of the key pieces is you have to know that you need to get back to okay Mm-hmm. And you need to know how to help yourself get back to okay. Exactly. And I don't know about you, but I don't think we live in a society that helps you figure that out. Oh, I would agree with you 100%. <laughs> there is a lack of that kind of education for sure. Um, I know that was one of the really uh, important things that my husband and I started working on with our daughter when she was old enough to, you know, start having really big emotions that weren't just a baby being hungry. <laughs> like, you know, so we you know, we'd do a lot of like, all right, let's take a center and let's breathe and let's take some space and let's, you know, like trying to work through that because it is, it's so, it's so important. I feel like um, self care and probably that's all it is. I mean, self care yeah. in general is yeah. so so undervalued and it is you know <laughs> uh, it's a huge root of so many issues you know so much burnout and frustration and everyone feeling like they just don't have enough you know especially yeah. parents <laughs> uh-huh especially caregivers like i know i'm i'm very lucky now in that i and the one of the two of us, my husband and I, who I say I'm very lucky, but I, I love it. I'm the one who works all day and he is the you know full-time caregiver for our daughter. He is parenting 150% all the time. And, uh, you know, that's been important for both of us. We've both been in the same you know, situations. He was working for the first two years for our daughter's life and vice versa now, but um, it's, yeah, it's just so um, under-recognized, you know, yeah. that everybody deserves to have and should and needs, you know, like it's part of like actually yeah. thriving, having mm-hmm. that self-care and that space to just separate and like re-nourish whatever that looks like. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that you said thrive because... Mm. Oh, and this is especially going out to like parents and caregivers. Mm-hmm. There are days where you're just surviving. Yes. Like it's all that you have just to get through the day and get everyone alive and healthy through the day. <laughs> like sometimes that is all you can do. Yeah. Yep. And I know that there's like books and like there's so many things on this, but for real, like figuring out how to get from surviving to thriving is it's key oh my goodness gracious like self-care yes it is it's not just something that you get to do like it no it's something that you have to do do like you need to do it absolutely like it's not a question (laughs) right right and you know that's another thing that I think most of us are taught is that you know the self-care aspect is extra. It's like, yeah. oh, if you've, if you've eaten your vegetables, you can have dessert. Like, that's not no. how this works. Otherwise, you know, your plate's going to keep getting 
filled up with vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great metaphor, but like, it's true. But it's true. Like, oh, I actually really love that metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> it's all the kids who don't want to eat vegetables, you know, just throwing it out there. I love that though because it like the longer I think about it I'm like oh my gosh no this is like amazing Um, (laughs) it's so true though like it's not something that should be extra it needs to be something that you do on like a daily basis even Mm -hmm. if it's even if it's two minutes where you lock yourself in the bathroom so you can breathe on your own for two minutes like it doesn't like you have to do something to give back to yourself. I am right. sorry if you hear that. My neighbor is using a skill saw or something and being really loud. Oh, um, it just sounds like a faucet turned on. Oh, not, so good. I'm not so that bad. bad. <laughs> so like, because I totally fell into that for a really long time, and honestly, oh, yeah. it was like almost exactly. It was almost purely because of the religion, like the way that I was mm, raised. Yeah. Because you're basically taught that motherhood is like the pinnacle. Like that's or the ultimate sacrifice, and that's all. Yeah, exactly. And like live that's, up to. Yeah, exactly. And so it's like you're supposed to give up everything to be a mom. You're supposed to like you basically lose yourself in becoming a mother, and like they even use some of that same verbiage. Like you lose yourself in becoming a mother, and I'm like, no, 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 no. <sighs> no. If you ever use the word lose yourself in motherhood or sacrifice yourself to like, if you are using any of those kinds of things, it should be a red flag Mm -hmm. because no, you should never sacrifice yourself. You should never lose yourself in something because you are who you have. Yeah. Like that's very true. It's very true. And if you know, yeah, if you're not keeping any pieces of yourself, if you're not nurturing those parts of you that are, that are who you are, before parenthood, after parenthood, during, mm-hmm. the, it's just an empty shell, you know. Like yeah. <laughs> exactly, and it's it's hard enough even losing pieces of who you are when you yeah. become a parent, and that mm-hmm. is, you know, also something that uh, <laughs> I feel like is not talked about enough, <laughs> you know, like within parenting family circles or even yeah. on the wider scale, but, um, yeah, giving yourself up completely for, I mean, anyone, anything, any yeah. job or purpose or activity, it's, it's just, I don't know, I, I can liken that to drug addiction or any kind of addiction or any, you know, yeah. that, that's where you really lose yourself, mm-hmm. and I would not, would not want to lose myself in the same way as a parent. Yeah. At all. Yeah. No. And it's hard when people are telling you that that is your job (laughs) to basically erase yourself that I can completely understand how frustrating that must be. Yeah. Uh, Yes, man. Yeah. I, I also wanted to know, I actually kind of love that you brought this up. Um, my husband and I basically switched roles. So mm-hmm. he was yeah. the one that worked until December 31st of this last year. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when his job ended. And we knew that it was coming. And we decided that honestly, maybe it would be better if I was the one that worked full time. 
And so I found a job. And so as of January 4th, like I started being the person who works full time and my husband stays home and takes care of the kids. Yeah. And it's a very interesting, like, Role, rever- role reversal and I hate that that it's even that like it when rolls. people find yeah. yeah when people find out that I'm the one that works and he stays home they almost like fawn over him they're like oh how are you doing are you doing okay and I'm like <sighs> wait wait I nobody asked me this <laughs> I'm like I did this for seven years why didn't I ever get this like oh, yeah what like but it's but that's kind of what we're in. And so I think that's why it's like even more important to really make sure you're getting that self-care because society is saying it's not important, right? but it's vital. No, it so like, is. It's yeah. vital. <laughs> yes. Oh my really gosh. Is. So we're about out of time, but I just want to ask <sighs> one more question okay. and we'll see. Um, so how did you figure things out? Like, how did you figure out how to get yourself back to okay? Yeah, good, good question. Well, um, <laughs> over a very long period of time and lots of <laughs> trial and error. Um, but I, I have found that finding other people who, you know, obviously no one's going to have the same exact experiences. Um, that would be very strange. Um, but people who understand, you know, the fears of, of whatever scenario is happening. Like I said, you know, people who, um, I hadn't known had stopped contact with close family members in the same way for similar reasons that I had. Um, and you know, I have, many friends who have struggled with their parents and their childhood and um whatever it is finding kind of that tribe i suppose and i do i do love that word um and just being open about it you know i've also found that like (laughs) whenever i'm going through my own emotional turmoil um or even you know medical things because we get older and our bodies stop working (laughs) you know like having people to reach out who understand at least one aspect of of that struggling um has helped me so much because i know that i i spent so many years inside my head thinking that because you know because no one had ever said anything to me but they didn't see what was going on and you know because I didn't receive that kind of um acknowledgement and validation from the people who I would have loved to get, get it yeah. from um that yeah I believed for a long time that I wouldn't get it anywhere and so that you know sometimes reaching out is the hardest scariest part but after you know, you do it a couple times. It's amazing yeah. how many people will say, oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Or, I love this. Or yes, this is hard and I'm here for you. And like, we'll share resources or just I'll be here to talk. And so that was really huge, mm-hmm. you know, stepping outside of my very hardened shell that I had built around myself. Um, and then also, you know, like a, a huge thing for me, I don't, I don't have to wake up 
super, super early in the morning anymore. Um, when my daughter was really young before my uh, husband decided he wanted to stop working, he'd stay home dad, which is awesome. Um, really the only real chunk of writing time I could get in was super early in the morning. Um, I still wake up at 3.30 in the morning. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but now the first like hour of my day is just for me. The house is dark. The dogs are asleep. <laughs> my husband and my daughter are asleep. Nobody's going to bother me. Nobody's going to call or text or email. It's just for me. And I'm not exhausted, right? I'm yeah. fresh in the morning. And that sort of like early morning before the rest of the world is awake period um, where I can be creative and just kind of ease into my day the way I want to has been huge. Like that's one of like my nurturing self-care things. And you know, I, I may be crazy for still waking up that early when it's absolutely unnecessary in quotes, but it's totally necessary. Yeah. <laughs> No, like I love, about. no, I love that though. Like you have to figure out what's necessary for you. Yeah. You have to figure that out and then do it mm-hmm. because you're going to feel so much better. Yeah. You're just yeah. going to, you're going to feel so much better and you're going to have more to give. You're going to have more patience. Mm-hmm. You're like, <laughs> it's so much better when you are taking the steps to fill up your cup. Exactly. And to make sure that you're in a good space because when you're in a good space, you can help others stay in a healthy space. Catherine, thank you. This was lovely. Yes, it was, Kaylee. Thank you. Yeah, I enjoyed our talk very much. <laughs> good. Me too. Oh my gosh, this was so good. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for a preview from next week. Just a quick reminder to get a copy of Empress Journal on Amazon for only $15. It's a great way to help you get and stay in a healthy space, and it helps support the show. So win-win. Check out the show notes at scarswishare.com slash podcast slash episode 095. You know, kids play without worrying about how, how is my play going to be interpreted? How is my play going to be accepted? How is what I do going to be looking out in the world and comparing to other people? None of that matters. They just do it, you know? So being childlike got to be childlike your whole life.